0: Mm-hmm.
1: Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather.
0: I've been talking all day. I don't got to do that.
1: <laughs> she sells seashells by the seashore.
0: That doesn't seem like a very good business strategy. It's not. <laughs> Trust I mean, me,
1: I've tried.
0: <laughs> Get rich quick.
1: <laughs> Unless you're there first and you scoop up all the other seashells.
0: And then there's none left?
1: There's none left. You Except for
0: the broken ones. All of them. Oh. oh. You
1: monetize the broken ones too.
0: I'll make them into like a mosaic art.
1: No, literally just have like a bucket and be like <laughs> scoop for $10. <$10." laughs> I suppose. <laughs> back to another episode of is fitz happy i'm luke and i'm emma and this week we're discussing part two of chapter 16 this is what what's the chapter name it's like new roles i think (laughs) new roles pretty sure i'm not flipping back in my ebook (laughs)
0: um there's so many pages oh here we go new roles you're correct
1: all right We start... Well, we left off. I'll I'll say that. We left off with Wintrow climbing down the riggings, and we paused there, and we are moving over to Althea now, and she has been on the Reaper with Brashen, that slaughter ship, and they were heading towards the Barrens, which is the destination island where a lot of the sea bears go on shore during their mating season, and a lot of ships, honestly... It said, just go there and slaughter the animals for their, you know, their meat, their fat, their uh, their skins, and bring it back.
0: Right. It's very lucrative mm-hmm. if you can survive the trip.
1: Right. One of the most lucrative trips of a slaughter ship's run. Right. So they made it through all of those storms and have their first sighting of the barrens, which is... Well, they are a flat island that's barely anything. It's some beach and then some scrub brush on the inland. Not much going on there in terms of geography, just a place where the sea bears go habitually. And they come up on the islands, and the best spot is already taken by another ship. So their captain, of course, is kind of cursing out and being angry and stomping around. But everyone knows that. The profit all comes from the island itself with the animals there and harvesting those. So there is no more violence between crews, even though it's kind of implied that there was violence in the past, fights over the best spots, that sort of thing. Right. Because it's good everywhere on these islands.
0: Yeah. And there's a really interesting comment made by Althea about the sea bears. She says, why the sea bears chose to haul out there to fight and mate and raise their young, she had no idea, especially as each year at this time, the slaughter boats came to drive and kill hundreds of their kind. She squinted her eyes against the flying salt spray and wondered what kind of deadly instinct brought them back here every year despite the memories of blood and death. And I thought that was really interesting of a descriptor because it made me think about the, um, the old traders and their family. That they came back, they come back, the ship, the live ship people come back to Bingtown every year, even though they could sail away and be free. That's and true. And it takes their children every year that yeah. there's a price to pay. And so I thought it was really interesting to see Althea so confused at the idea of these animals staying in a place that's so dangerous. And yet her own family does the exact same thing.
1: True, true. Good connection. So the hunters and the skinners and everything like that have their chance to shine now. They're kind of rousing from their idleness on board as the members of the sailors are in relative leisure here. (laughs) Relative free time. And I say relative because there's always tasks to be done. But the hunters at least have to do something now. And Althea finds out or relates to us that they had almost killed one of their member in their idleness uh, at least beating him up bad enough where he was couldn't do anything because they accused him of cheating at cards or dice or whatever gambling thing that they were doing. So they are one down and she thought that it wouldn't affect them that much. But it turns out she does have to help them.
0: <laughs> right. It does affect her. And it is interesting because she talks about how the men that are part of this hunter party are just very loud and crass and not fun to be around. She'd prefer to not have to be around them at all, but she's a ship's boy, so sometimes she has to bring them things. So that's how she knows them before this. And now she is stuck being their ship boy, (laughs) doing all the little tasks that nobody else really wants to.
1: Yep, so she is called out to join them and just give them whatever help they might need. And she, of course, has to just say, jump to her feet, say, yes, sir, even though she would rather be doing other stuff, like she was in the middle of mending her pants, that sort of thing. Has to drop it all, gets back up, heads out uh, on board and onto the small rowboats that they're sending out, and realizes that Brashen is going to be in charge of the sailors on the shore. And she resolved to give him no reason to notice her. She'd be working with the hunters and skinners anyway. There was no need for their paths to cross. For an instant, she wondered just what her task would be and then shrugged off as useless curiosity. They'd tell her soon enough. So she is sticking to her guns of just kind of, he'll stay in his lane, I'll stay in mine. Avoid each other. It's fine.
0: Right. In her mind, Brashin has nothing to do with her and she has nothing to do with Brashin. It's just unfortunate luck that they're on the same ship. Whereas we know that Brashin is keeping a full eye on Althea and he is very aware of what she's doing at all times. Or trying to be. Uh, Yeah. As much as he can be without drawing attention to the fact that he is giving her special treatment.
1: I don't think he's giving her special treatment at all. He's giving Reller special treatment to keep an eye on her. Right. And, And he's telling Reller to like make sure she doesn't mess up or anything. So. Technically, Reller is doing the special treatment. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> so they go on to the rocky beaches. The adult males had already left, meaning the sea bears, beginning the migration back to wherever these creatures wintered. And on the sandy inland plains, Althea knew they would find the younger females in this year's crop of offspring. They would have lingered there, feeding off the late runs of fish and gathering fat and strength before they began their long journeys. So they are gonna head inland a bit. They kind of dock. They bring the shore, the boats to shore. The sailors get off, and they have their own tasks to help with uh, with the packing of all of the uh, the animal parts that they're gonna be harvesting. But the hunters and the skinners have to head inland to start that. And Althea is with them, carrying all of the stuff that she can because. They don't want to carry it all. And she's just the extra person, basically.
0: Right. They're giving her any duty they don't want to perform themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. And she's kind of confused because they're just strolling along, talking, laughing. And she figured this was going to be kind of, you know, a hunt, a stalk, some sort of silence required. But they come over a rise and there's just a bunch of sea bears laying there and they kind of look up at them, but they ignore the humans and they don't care. And then it's just a slaughter yard. They unload the arrows and the quivers, pass them out, and then the hunters just choose their targets and start. The hunters were businesslike about their killing. As soon as the final arrows were expended, they moved down to reclaim them from the dead beasts, while the skinners came behind them like gore crows to a battle scene. The bulk of the live animals had moved off in annoyance from the struggles and bellows of those struck and dying. They still seemed to feel no panic, only a distaste for the odd antics that had disturbed their their rest. The leader of the hunters glanced at Althea in some annoyance. "'See what's keeping them with this salt,' he barked at her, as if she had known she would have this duty and had neglected it. She scrambled to this command, just as glad to leave the scene of slaughter. The skinners were already at work, stripping the hide from each beast, salvaging tongues, hearts, and livers, before rolling the entrails out of the way and leaving the naked, fat, fat and meat creatures on their own hides.' The knowledgeable gulls were already coming to the feast. So, this is what the sailors were doing uh, on the beach. They were rolling off all of those casks of salt that we had described earlier, I think a couple chapters ago. And that's where they're going to pack all of the delicacies and the uh, the things that they're going to bring back to sell.
0: Right. It would have been last episode because. Did this we talk is the about first,
1: the salt? Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: this is the first chapter where she's been on this ship.
1: So. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But yes, they're bringing a lot of salt. They have to to be able to keep everything secure and um, not rotting by the time it gets to where they can sell it. And the faster they can get it in the salt, the more pristine it's going to be. So, of course, there's that frustration there. Um, It's also really interesting to hear how these animals are not associating what's going on to their fellows, their fellow beings uh, as being hunted they kind of are more annoyed than anything but they're still around so it's just really easy picking and again I don't know maybe this is just me looking too far into it but it is really reminiscent to me of the big town Traders of like something coming in and hurting members of the group and yet instead of recognizing that and fleeing or you know doing something we don't to need fight to change back. no we don't <laughs> need to change just keep doing it the uh, the way it's always been done. And so I just I just keep finding it really interesting how much this slaughter of the uh, the sea bears and their deathly island <laughs> reminds me of Althea and the Bingtown traders. Yeah. Um, but we are here, and I think it's just really hard. We have Althea struggling with it's gross. This is a gross task. It's also really it's distasteful. Yeah, it's horrible. It's it's just so much death unnecessarily. And I don't think she talks about this, but a thought that I had is like, they're killing all of the females and the babies. So how are more going to ever come back if you just keep killing all of them? It's, I don't know. I think it's such a weird thought to go through. And
1: (laughs) I don't, I think they, she was mentioning that they had moved inland and stuff, but it doesn't ever specify specifically that this is the group of young females and they're young. Right.
0: They were. Yeah. You read it.
1: Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's it, she is talking about the migration of like where they went and things like that. But I don't know if that's linked to this field specifically.
0: Okay. So we don't know for sure that it's the cubs and the their mothers only being slaughtered here but there's there's a potential that that's
1: yeah so like yeah i don't know it the text is there that it's like linked but i don't it just doesn't make sense to me with the care that robin hop puts into things like
0: it's not described that there's different sizes of animal being like a drastically like a baby versus a adult being. And it doesn't talk about how like one's fur is more like soft or
1: something, whatever it is. Or like
0: more, uh, what's it called? Not unique, uh, valuable than the other, which I feel like baby fur is like baby animal fur is usually more valuable. Right. I don't know. So maybe it's not, maybe. but But like
1: with the descriptions right there, you were kind of right in that, like it's right next to each other. I don't know. Either way, it's, Either way. it's some a- group of beasts, as Elthea calls them.
0: Right. And she can't get over how kind of gross it is, even after a few days of this slaughter happening, where now she is touching it because at some point they just have to start salting and putting away the animal parts that the, the skinners have gone through and done so that they can preserve everything faster. So she's just picking up body parts and animal fat. And even that doesn't really shield her from how gross, just the more that she sees it, the longer it's going on, the more horrible it feels. She does describe that the method in which they're killing the animals is done so that they can preserve the meat and coat. And so it is not quick or painless. And that is just hard to watch over and over and over again. And it's just gotten to the point where she's had to just kind of stop thinking and she's just doing, she's just picking things up, she's doing it. And then by the time it gets to the point where somebody hands her a knife and tells her that she needs to skin now, she kind of is just doing whatever people are telling her. She's trying not to think about it.
1: And it's been a few days in between there. Right. Uh, it was begin. It was the beginning of one of the seemingly endless bloody days that followed. To Althea fell the tasks that everyone else judged themselves too busy to do. So she was doing everything, like you said. And eventually, there was a storm where uh, they had to do everything very, very quickly in order to pack everything up so it didn't ruin. And that's when she was handed a knife and she had to start skinning.
0: I guess we did. I did skip a little bit in there
1: yeah, um, because
0: it talks about in between how they camp by dragon rock, Mm -hmm. which I think is important to talk about. Yeah,
1: I did want to mention this as well.
0: So it's, they built a rough camp on the island on the same site as last year's camp in the lee of a rock formation known as the dragon. Their tent was little more than canvas stretched to break the wind and fires for warmth and cooking, but at least it was a shelter.
1: She talks a little bit about how the smells weren't great, but it was nice to have a break from the close smells of the ship. So like, man, that ship must not smell good.
0: Right. Yeah. They all smell like blood and guts right now. And that's better than being on. Well, at
1: least a change.
0: Right. I suppose. Well, I guess when you're in close confines with a bunch of people and hygiene is questionable. Right. I'm sure. And you're doing heavy labor. It's probably disgusting smelling.
1: But she was glad of her change in status as well a bit. She kind of talks about how working with the hunters and skinners is nice. It's a good change of pace. And she's not envying anybody who has to do the hard work of rolling the salt kegs over there, getting them packed, and then rolling them and loading them back. So she's kind of glad for her change in job right now. Her own tasks continued to evolve as the hunters and skinners thought of them. She honed knives, retrieved arrows, salted and packed hearts and tongues, spread hides and salted hides and shook hides and rolled hides and tied hides. She coated slabs of meat with salt and layered it into casks. And the weather was great until it started raining that one day.
0: Right. I also do want to say that I don't understand the concept. My brain cannot wrap around the concept of having a cask of salt and adding things to that. Like, does that mean that there's, it's only half filled with salt so they have room to put stuff throughout or is it mostly filled with salt? Like, The whole time I'm reading this, like I know I'm supposed to be focusing on the deeper meanings and like the the good juicy bits, but part of me was just like, but then how would you get the salt out to put things in without ruining or like dumping it on the ground, and then you can't use it if it's on the ground. And (laughs) so I spent a very large portion of time trying to figure out how the salt bins work.
1: I would assume that they're mostly filled with salt, so there's a little bit of room, but also it talks about. How they have to pack the hides with salt. So I'm, sh- I'm assuming they're scooping it out and putting it on product. Right. To preserve it specifically and then putting the product in the empty-ish barrels.
0: So probably not FDA standards.
1: Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> None of them are washing their hands. it gross.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, she has been doing this and that's when she's handed the knife.
1: Mm-hmm. She had seen it done often enough now that she had lost most of her squeamishness. Still, a moment's disgust uncoiled inside her as she peeled the soft hide back from the thick layer of fat. And she's talking about like stealing herself and slicing through and holding the hide a couple times and just not doing well. But when she relaxed and did not think about what she was doing so much as how to do it well, the next hide came free as simply as if she were peeling a gemelion orange. It was, she realized, simply a matter of thinking how an animal was made, where hide would be thick or thin, fat present or absent. By her fourth animal, she realized it was not only easy for her, but that she was good at it. She moves swiftly from carcass to carcass, suddenly uncaring of the blood and the smell. The long slice to open the beast, the swift skinning, followed by a quick disemboweling, and talks about how she's good at this. And she moves quickly and at some point she lifted her head to peer around through the driving sleet. The cold rain pounded her back and dripped into her eyes, but until that moment of respite, she had been almost unaware of it. Behind her, she realized, were no less than three teams of butchers trying to keep up with her. She had left behind her a wide trail of stripped carcasses. In the distance, one of the hunters appeared to be speaking to the mate about something. He made an offhand gesture towards her, and she suddenly knew with certainty that she was the topic of their conversation. She once more bent her head to her work, her hands flying as she blinked away the cold rain that ran into her eyes and dripped from her nose. A small fire of pride began to burn within her. It was dirty, disgusting work, carried out on a scale that was beyond greed. But she was good at it. And it had been so long since she had been able to claim that for herself, her hunger for it shocked her. So this is some of that lost pride that really took a hit when she signed on to be a sailor on the reaper. Right. The, the pride that Kyle dug at and she kind of saying like, Oh, Kyle's right. I'm not good for anything.
0: Right. And then here she has this thing where she's actually really good at it. And I think that's really big for her. It also probably feels good that she gets to be good at this thing and it's not going to be labeled for a girl at the end that people just say you're good at that. I'm sure she a little bit knows that, that she has found something once again, where people are proud of her for doing that and think that she's good at something. And I think that's really important to Althea. I think that's kind of how she works. She needs that, the positive reinforcement, so to speak, to keep going. Sense of accomplishment. Yes. I think her father had it right in that her punishments, can't be heavy handed because that just defeats the purpose of her learning something. And so seeing that in practice where she's had sort of a heavy handed punishment of not being appreciated (laughs) basically over and over again. um, And here she finally gets to see some recognition. Of course she's going to be excited and she's going to work harder and do it because I don't know. It feels really good to be good at something and to be recognized for being good at something, especially when you've had a really long go of not being recognized.
1: True, true. And when she is finally done with her task, she kind of lifts her head up, notices people are around her moving, packing things. And one of the men writes one of the casks that's right there and meets her eyes and it is Brashen. She grinned at him. Pretty good, eh? He wiped rain from his own face and then observed quietly. Were I you, I'd do as little as possible to call attention to myself. Your disguise won't withstand a close scrutiny. His rebuke irritated her. Maybe if I get good enough at this, I won't need to be disguised anymore. The look that passed over his face was both incredulous and horrified. He stove in the end of the the salt cask and then gestured at her as if he were bidding her to get to work salting hides. But what he said was, did these two-legged animals you crew with suspect for one moment that you were a woman? They'd use you, one and all, with less concern than they give to this slaughter. Valuable as you might be to them as a skinner, they'd see no reason why they couldn't use you as a whore as well. And they would see it at, and they would see it that by your being here, you had expected and consented to such use. Something in his low, earnest voice chilled her beyond the rein's touch. There was such certainty in his tone, she could not imagine arguing with it. Instead, she hurried off to meet the man with the hog's head, bearing with her the tongue and heart from her final beast. She continued with this task, keeping her head low as if to keep rain from her eyes, and trying to think of nothing. Nothing. If she had stopped to think about how easy that had become lately, it might have frightened her.
0: So I think this is a really sad interaction, because for one moment Althea forgot about the position she was in, and that's kind of taken away from her by brashin. He doesn't even say good job. He's not recognizing right. that she did something well. Which, to be fair, he hasn't done for anything that she does. She's, he's not really that kind of person. But
1: but we know in his head he's like, "Yeah, she's pretty good at this." Yeah, I'm sure
0: <laughs> in his brain he's like, "Wow, was really good." And it's I don't know. It's so sad that he has to be so harsh with the reality, quote unquote that she's living in and how she absolutely cannot tell them that she's a woman. And it's hard because I don't know if he's right or not. There's pretty good indicators that he probably is, but also, you know, it's like, is he right? Or is he just saying that because that's worst case scenario. And I mean, to be fair, that being worst case scenario, you wouldn't want to just reveal yourself. Don't attempt that. Yeah. No, and I think that's his purpose is reminding her not to be too reckless of like, yeah, sure, you're good at something, but
1: don't stand out too much.
0: Right. And his idea that her costume, I guess, <laughs> her disguise won't hold up to scrutiny is kind of dumb because he took weeks to notice it was her. And the only reason he knows she's a woman is because she he knew her before. I don't think anybody else would notice. I like even standing close, obviously standing close because people do stand close to her and sleep in the same room as her and they don't know. I I think it's more just Brashin's anxieties coming to a head of, oh no, what happens if they find out? And I kind of think we see a little bit of the chicken side of Brashin because we have Brashin. Kind of admitting that he wouldn't stick up for her, that that's just what would happen to her, and she'd have to be okay with that.
1: In his worst case scenario, with that happening, he would probably die if if he did stick up for her. Yeah, right? I Because in his worst case, like people yeah. are
0: upset that he's trying to take her for himself in their minds, even though he either
1: was- either that, or even if he wasn't associated, and he just tried to like, hey, don't do that. He'd be like, it's the people who would be fine with using somebody else and raping them. They probably wouldn't have a care if they killed you.
0: (laughs) Right. Fair enough. Yeah. So like, I get why he wouldn't want to stand up and that's like why he's saying like, this will just happen to you, but it is a little sad also just like, that's just how it is. (laughs) Like, I don't know. It's bad. Not a great environment. I would say toxic work culture. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> but poor Althea the wind has been taken out of her sails because she is no longer proud she's just trying to get through the rest of the day now
1: right get back to camp and with the storm the lighting and the lightning kind of flashes at the rock formation that they're camping next to and she this is the first time she can see it in awful detail She had not seen it before because she had not expected it to be sprawled on its back, four legs clutching at its black chest, outflung wings submerged in earth, the contortions of its immense body adumbrated in an agonized death. Adumbrated? 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 I don't know. I don't know. Adumbrated in agonized death. Robin Hobb using those words. I don't know. Althea halted on the slight rise that offered her this view and stared in horror. Who would carve such a thing, and why on earth did they camp in its lee? She kind of lets out a breath, and Reller is next to her, saying, Bit unnerving the first time you'd catch it, eh? She says, Bit, but for all that it's just a rock. And he lowers his voice, saying, You're so sure of that? You ought to climb up on its chest sometime and take a look. That part there, that looks like four legs? They clutch at the stump of an arrow shaft, or what's left of one. No oh boy, that's the 4 real carcass of a live dragon, brought down when the world was younger than an egg, rotting slow ever since. And Althea, of course, like no such thing as dragons, and he relates something that he saw off the coast of the six duchies a few years back. I saw dragons, and not just one or two, whole phalanx of them flying like geese in every bright color and shape you can name, and not just one, but once, but twice. There's some as say they brought the serpents, but that ain't true. I'd seen serpents years before that, way down south. Of course, nowadays we see a lot more of them, so folk believe in them, but when you've sailed as long as I, and been as far as I, you'll learn that there's a lot of things that are real, but only a few folk have seen them. And she, of course, is again like, yeah, stop pulling my leg. And he's actually kind of affronted because genuinely he did see them. And she's like, oh, I got to be a little bit more gullible. I'm supposed to be a 14-year-old chips boy. And she says, well, the next time if he trotted out a sea tail, she'd be more receptive and make it up to him. After all, he was as close as she had to a friend aboard the Reaper. So we have word from somebody who has actually seen the dragons that there's an arrow sticking out of this rock formation and it's called the dragon because it is a dragon carcass.
0: Yeah. Um, whether or not it's an actual dragon carcass is, prob. It's probably not. It's probably more of a stone dragon. I would say maybe. You think it's a real dragon?
1: You think a stone dragon would be brought down by an arrow?
0: If it's a wizard wood arrow. Yeah.
1: How many wizard wood arrows are there? If oh, it I suppose
0: back in the day. <laughs> back in
1: the day,
0: you don't know that. There could be people who were anti-dragon in general.
1: That's fair. But you That's think fair. one
0: arrow is gonna take down a dragon? No.
1: But the one that, you know, gets it. Maybe a big like spear or something. Yeah. I don't know.
0: But it isn't a big spear, it's an arrow. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I always thought it was just a I don't know. Oh. A stone dragon. I didn't think it was a real carcass.
1: I think it's kind of like a calcified or, you know, petrified real dragon carcass. I like to think so, at least.
0: I guess ice fire is completely... I guess that's an ice, though. But his body is completely fine. It's not gone away. So maybe...
1: There's enough salt there.
0: yeah, Yeah. I don't know. It's really hard to tell what happens to dragons when they die? Cause it feels like mostly they get eaten for their memories. So right. why would this dragon have been left behind? Unless it was one of the last,
1: unless it was hunted by Claris.
0: Yeah. But why wouldn't it... mm. they just left it though? They didn't want to use the, that, that blood? is
1: true. Unless they got it and it flew away and it finally crashed somewhere.
0: I suppose, you know,
1: there, there, there can we can come up with a billion reasons why it could Fair. be a real or fake, but I, I like to believe that it's a real carcass.
0: Hmm, okay, I don't, but <laughs> that's fine. I'll allow you to continue thinking <laughs> that way.
1: Well, that's it for Althea. This chapter kind of wrap up her tale. She's good at something. Finally, change of pace, and then when taken out of her sails with that, and still, again, we are reminded that she is in a dangerous position. And I don't think there is an Althea section that we are not reminded that eventually. Right.
0: Yeah. Of how like sure. Something is not that bad until, Oh yeah, it's really bad. Um, it is also interesting though, that she doesn't believe that dragons actually help the six duchies. Cause you think she would have heard about it before now.
1: Yeah. Or that dragons are real in general,
0: right? Like nobody else saw it and told, it, but I guess it, if you haven't seen them in your location, it could just be an old wives tale. Like, sure, yeah, it was definitely dragons in the sky that came to help. And dragons guess,
1: that, like, make you kind of forget things that they fly overhead.
0: Yeah, true. So I guess, yeah, the tales would be kind of old wives tales.
1: Yeah. We join back in with Wintro aboard the Vivacia again, with a little bit of a time skip here. They're making their fourth port. Remember at the beginning of this journey, I believe there were seven stops yes. along the way. And this is the fourth one. We've kind of skipped over all of Chalced here. And we are with Wintrow, leaning on the railing beside Vivatia, staring at the white-spired town snugged in the crook of the tiny harbor. He had been silent, as he often was, but lately the silence had been more companionable than miserable. She blessed mild with all her, her heart. Since he had extended his friendship to Wintrow, the boy had begun to thrive. Wintrow, if not cheerful, was at least gaining a little bit of the cockiness that was expected of the ship's boy. When that post had been Mild's, he had been daring and lively, into mischief when he was not being the ship's gesture for anyone who had a spare moment to share with him. When Mild had acquired the status of a hand, he had settled into a more sober attitude toward his work, as was right. But Wintrow had suffered badly in comparison. It had showed all too plainly that his heart was not in his work. He had ignored or misunderstood the sailors' attempts to jest with him, and his doldrum spirits had not been conducive to anyone wishing to spend time with him. Now that he was beginning to smile, if only occasionally, and to good-naturedly rebut some of the sailors' jests, he was beginning to be accepted. And they were more prone to giving a word of advice or a word of warning. That prevented him from making mistakes that multiplied his workload. So he was getting a little bit easier of a time. It's kind of what we mentioned at the end of, or in last episode as well, that with Mild extending his friendship out to Wintro, it really, really helps him be more accepted into the crew. He can get an in even when he's not socially aware of some of the jokes or the jests or anything. Mild kind of gives him that little window of like, They're just playing with you, bud.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And I honestly, I think we didn't give a mild enough credit last time to be patient like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's like the second or third time he's reached out.
0: Yeah. He continues to reach out to Wintro to try to build a friendship. And I don't know. I feel like it's really sweet that he does that. I mean, he's only 15. So he's only two years older than Wintro. And Yet he still is like, you know what? I'm going to help this kid out. Like, obviously he doesn't know what's going on. And I just think that's really sweet for a 15-year-old boy of all things to do to, like, be kind in this situation and kind of help Wintro and be like, hey, like, here's what you're missing. And then Wintro can say, oh, okay. And it helps Wintro to better figure out the rules, so to speak, because it feels like Wintro needs that set of rules to to do things. He needs to understand where people are coming from so that he knows what their rules are so that he could participate with them in a way that makes sense to him, mm-hmm. which is totally fair. That's how he sees the world. And it's really nice that mild helped with that. Yeah. <laughs> saw that and helped instead of just made fun.
1: And now an occasional word of praise or camaraderie was beginning to waken in Wintro a sense of being part of the crew. And some now perceive that his gentle nature and thoughtful ways were not a weakness. Vyvesha was beginning to have hopes for him. So she was feeling a bit better about Wintrow's prospects as a sailor as well. Right. Even though he is still a bit distrustful of her, she is feeling that connection with him deeper now, looking back at him, seeing a young Efren vestrate in his features, asking him to put his hand in hers. And he, excuse me, she shares a memory from Efren's eyes with Wintrow at this very port town. Efren loved to go throughout this city and walk through it and see the natural beauty and the carvings and the beautiful art that this city has produced. And Vivacia is reliving this memory on Claw Island here and giving it to Wintrow as well, showing exactly, you know, what architecture there was how many like farms he walked past and what merchants he talked to and everything like that. All of his experiences basically are now Wintro's memories as well. Cause this is how Althea felt at the end of it was those are pretty much my memories now too. Right. So there's, there's a, an intense link and sharing with this particular location. And Wintro is thinking like his grandfather had always allowed himself time to stroll through the city's marble heart and look up at the carved faces of heroes, the friezes of legends, and the arches on which plants both live, and carved, climbed, and coiled. And you brought it here, much of the marble facing, without you and him. Oh, I see. It is almost like my windows. Light shines through them to illuminate the labor of my hands. Through your work, Sa's light shines in this beauty. So, Wintro is kind of seeing more of Sa's joy and... Sa's way of introducing beauty through Vivatia here, saying that Efren and Vivasha brought a lot of the materials that the city used to build this city and brought beauty to the world that way. So he's kind of trying to find his own mental and logical leaps to connect Vivasha to Saw's goodness.
0: Right. I think it's really interesting, too, to learn this little tidbit about Efren, it's a side of him that we haven't gotten to see yet, that he seems to enjoy the arts for art's sake.
1: We we do hear a little bit from Ronica's point of view saying like, he always talked about that he wanted me to walk through the cities of the beauty, thing, beautiful things that right. no one's ever seen, stuff like that. But yeah, this is very specific. I like to look at beautiful carved things.
0: <laughs> right. And I think that does lend itself to showing more likeness between Wintro and Ephron, that there is this sense of you need to stop and smell the roses, that like, that's what life is about. It's right. not just hustle and bustle and work. There's also needs to be this time of reflection of beauty.
1: And so with the words that Wintro was speaking out loud that I read, Vivacia can feel a moving toward unity that he seemed to value above all else, was that what he appreciated here. He did not see the elaborately carved facades of the buildings as works of art to enjoy. Instead, they were an expression of something she could not grasp, a coming together of ship and merchant and trading folk that had resulted in, just, in not just physical beauty, but arcforia saw. She did not know the word. She could only reach after the concept. Joy embodied the best of men in nature coming together in a permanent expression, justification of all Sá had bequeathed so lavishly upon the world. She felt a soaring euphoria in him she had never experienced in any of his other kin, and suddenly recognized that this was what he had missed so hungrily. The priests had taught him to see the world with these eyes, had gently awakened in him a hunger for unadulterated beauty and goodness." He believed his destiny was to pursue goodness, to find and exalt in it in all of its forms, to believe in goodness. She had sought to share and teach. Instead, she had been given and taught. She surprised herself by drawing back from him, breaking the fullness of the contact. This was a thing she needed to consider, and perhaps she needed to be alone to consider it fully. And in that thought, she recognized yet again the full impact Wintro was having on her. So this is, we can see the depth and the importance of the bond between the two. Wintrow is emotionally mature, which is a great thing for a young ship. Right. But he is young himself, so there are issues there. But it is wonderful that the ship can also learn because she is incredibly young too, even though she has the wealth of knowledge of generations and wants to teach Wintrow about his ancestors and things that, she knows that he's in the world that they're in right now. She still has a ton to learn as well. And that's the, the give and take there of that bond.
0: Right. And I think this first connection with Wintro will really temper her for years to come and that she'll be able to think about Saw and Saw's beauty. She'll probably be the first religious ship. <laughs> like
1: <laughs> Not after sailing with Kenneth, probably. <laughs>
0: Fair. But I think it's just really interesting to see that, like you said, the growth and the bond between them widening in a way that affects Vivacious so deeply. I don't think Wintro is as affected by this bond. Obviously, he gets something out of it and there's some sort of weird connection there. Right. He's drawn to her and he does appreciate her company. But I don't feel like she's teaching him in the way that he is teaching her, if that makes sense. No,
1: I don't think he's fully open to it yet. Like she kind of points out he still has some of a wariness of whether she is good or evil in Saw's eyes. But there is a physical, you know, sharing of the memories, which is teaching him a bit. But yeah, I I agree with you that I don't think it's as on a deep of level as what Wintrow is showing Fivatia at the moment. Right.
0: And I guess, I mean... Wintro isn't an undying being who will see generations of vivasha to come. So probably the scale of which she, uh, she can touch his life and change him is a lot different because it's not something that is planting a seed to grow for later. It's kind right. of just if it doesn't happen now, it probably won't happen in his lifetime sort of deal. Unless he were to stay on her forever, which I don't think he does. Well. They stay together, I guess. Yeah.
1: yeah, He, he does sail her. Yeah. Until I think she turns into dragons. Or does she not choose to? I don't remember. I, I can't remember. I think she chooses not to immediately, but might later or something like that in the last book.
0: I don't really remember.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but either way, we have this really interesting, this time of introspection for Vivacia, who is normally very... Um, outgoing and pushing towards that connection with Wintro. So this is the first time she's really drawn away from that on her own terms of, mm-hmm. you know what? I think I want to think about this alone.
1: Coming into herself as an individual a little bit more, which is right. nice. But Winter, on the other hand is also, as we've been saying, being accepted as a crew member and he is given short time and he knows this is not from his father nor from Torg. So this is our, As we said we would keep an eye out for, one of the good deeds that Gantry does, the first mate. Right. And it puzzled Wintrow. He knew that the mate had full charge of all the men on board the ship, and that only the captain's word was higher, yet he did not think Gantry had even been fully cognizant of his existence. The man had scarcely spoken to him directly at all in the time he had been aboard. Yet his name was called out for the first group of men, allowed time ashore, and he found his heart soaring with anticipation. He was not allowed out in Chelsea. And this is going to be his first time on, off the ship, basically, since Bingtown. But he was, he had moments of ind- indecision about what clothes to wear because mm-hmm. he basically has his shore clothes and his priest robe.
0: Right. Um, and it's not just regular shore clothes, it's a sailor's typical shore short clothes. Right. Which marks you as a sailor. So it's bright striped, a bright colored striped shirt and you know, normal tight breeches.
1: Yeah. Coarse black trousers as cheaply made as his deck clothes. And they did not even fit him well because Torg didn't really care about sizes.
0: Right. So it is talked about how Torg was given money by Wintrow's father because Kyle didn't Trust Wintro to go shopping off of the boat. So Torg was put in charge and Wintro guesses that based off of the horrible cut of the clothing and also the cheaply made aspect of it, that Torg probably pocketed a lot of the money just for his own use. And now he's left with some hard choices. But he decides ultimately he can't wear his priest's roads out, nor, number one, because the bottom is super frayed and it's been patched over and over again. But Number two, he doesn't think it would be right to go into a town dressed as a priest of Saw because then people would be expecting him to be a priest and they would be treating him like a priest and that's not what he was there for. So he thought it would be very dishonest.
1: And he would lose what ground he had gained with his fellows if he chose the robe over the sailor's outfit. Right. And as he's dressing in the sailor's outfit, he's telling himself that it was not a denial of his priesthood, but indeed a practical choice. And goes into the explanation or is convincing himself like what you said, where it would be dishonest to go amongst them as a priest because he came as a sailor. So resolutely he set aside the niggling discomfort that perhaps he was making too many compromises lately that perhaps his morality was becoming too flexible. He hurried to join those going ashore. So this is a continuing strand throughout Wintrow's whole plot line through this trilogy is where does my line lie? What is my path? Am I a sailor? Am I a priest? Does one encroach on the other? Can they live in harmony? And a lot of this early book is talking about giving up some sort of ground or flexing his morality to fit his life around a sailor, and you know having mental calculations to explain away why it's not
0: right. <laughs> a and difference, it, yeah. It definitely feels reminiscent of what Althea is going through, and that uh, kind of, and that there's a sense of. I'm not doing well. And here's this thing that I can do well. And so I want to ride that high. And then as soon as I am done feeling good about that, because I have in Wintrow's case fit in or in Althea's case exceeded at something, someone's expectations, then the realization comes that the cost of that was to lose a little bit of yourself that you were protecting. Right. And so for Wintro, that cost is his priesthood, the, the closeness to saw um, this straying away from what a priest should be. And I feel bad for him because he is a, he's a teenage boy and he just wants to be accepted. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something everybody wants. You want to be part of a group. And so just to have these little moments of, well, I know it's probably not what I'm supposed to do as a priest, but in this moment I'm not, and, and it, it's bad for the team, and ugh, I just feel so sorry for him.
1: <laughs> There's five of them going to, uh, going ashore in this group, including Wintro and Miles, and one of them was Comfrey. Wintro found that he could neither keep his eyes off the man nor meet his gaze squarely. There he sat the man who had perpetrated the coffee cup obscenity on his father. And Wintro could not decide whether to be horrified by him or amused. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's really funny. They have some jests, good natured jests. And Wintro, despite his embarrassment, found himself grinning as the other men laughed. And he suddenly grasped the good nature behind a great deal of the teasing. So he's getting these realizations of they're not just making fun of me. They're not trying to be mean he's getting the social part of it a bit.
0: Right. Of like, even if it like is kind of mean, like the comment specifically was about how the women in town will probably, um, tickle his fancy, tickle his fancy and they'll sleep with him for half price because he's so tiny. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's a joke, but it's not a nice joke. It isn't particularly all that funny to me personally, but I can see how Wintro is like, Oh, this isn't him making fun of me as a person. This is just, A joke at my expense but to make everybody laugh it's kind of you know it is making fun of him but it's supposed to be in a friendly way
1: that's a lot of friendships in my opinion
0: I suppose I don't know if it's hard it's hard I don't know I don't like I'm protective of Wintro I don't want him to be made fun of it's not nice
1: he's a dopey little priest boy (laughs) So their liberty would only last until sundown, he says. And two of the men were already complaining that the best of the wine and women were not to be found on the streets until after that. And Comfrey's like, oh, don't you believe them? There's plenty to be had at any hour here. Those two just prefer the darkness for their pleasures. With faces like those, they need a bit of shadow even to persuade a whore to take them on. So Comfrey is is kind of described and listed out as a funny guy. He's easygoing. Right. He's a nice guy to just kind of get along with, and he'll, he'll make jokes all the time. And Wintrow has to say that he's going to run some errands. He's going to excuse themse- himself from the group. He's like, I want to see the carvings on the Adishi Hall and the freezes on the Hero's Wall. All the men looked at him curiously, but only Mild asked, How do you know about that stuff? You been to Crest before? He shook his head. No, but the ship has. Vivasha told me about them, and that my grandfather had found them beautiful. I thought I'd go see for myself. And everyone kind of falls silent. And there's even a tiny gesture with a little left finger that might have been an invocation of Sa's protection against evil magic. Again, Mild was the one to speak. Does the ship really know everything that Captain Vestrit knew? Winchro shrugs. I don't know. I only know what she chooses to share with me is very vivid, almost as, it, as if it became my memory. He halted suddenly, uncomfortable. He found that he did not want to speak about it at all. It was private. He discovered that link between himself and the vivacia. No, more than private, an in intimacy. The silence became uncomfortable again, but this time Comfrey rescued them. Well, fellows, I don't know about you, but I don't get to the beach all beach time all that often. I'm for town in a certain street, but where both the flowers and the women bloom sweet. He glanced at Mile see that both you and Wintro are back on the boat at on time. I don't want to have to come looking for you. And mild of course is protesting. I, I'm not going to go with Wintro blah, blah, blah. And Wintro was like, no, he doesn't have to come with me. I, I can go there myself.
0: Right. I do want to pause to say that there is that moment where he's talking about what the relationship he has with five is. Yeah. There's these people who don't really know how it works. They've worked on live ships their whole lives and yet still don't really know. And he finds himself being very old traitor in my opinion, by hoarding that secret to himself. <laughs> he, he kind of explains and then realizes, yeah, I don't think I'm giving anything else.
1: That's true. That's true. And
0: so the secret lives on.
1: It is a private thing, too. I mean, it, it's more than just a friendship, right?
0: Right. And it's more than just sharing of a memory. Like, there's yeah. a sharing of minds as well. And mm-hmm. that is hard to explain, and also would be a little bit embarrassing, <laughs> for <if laughs> sure. But there is this moment, like you said. So Mild is then asked to go with him. And Wintro says, you know, I'm not gonna run away, I promise.
1: And they're and all surprised. And like, of yeah. course you're not.
0: Yeah, we didn't think you were. Like <laughs> actually there's nowhere for you to go, even if you wanted to. It's an island.
1: And Comfrey says, and the Kamarans aren't exactly friendly to strangers. We weren't worrying, worrying about you running off, Wintrow. Crest can be dangerous for a sailor out and about on his lonesome. Not just a ship's boy, but any sailor. You ought to go with him, Mild. How long can it take for him to look at a wall anyway? Mild was extremely unhappy. It's not necessarily an order, but, you know, it's... <laughs> if you knew where to suggest and Wintrow got into some kind of trouble, it'd be on Mild. Right. Wintrow insists that he'll be fine. And I'll meet you back over here. It's going to be fine.
0: He'll be back before sundown. Yep. It's okay. And they kind of take it. They say, okay. And Wintro explains that the reason that it's taken it as okay is because they gave him opportunity and now it's not their fault if something happens. That yeah. It was Wintro's stupidity that will get him hurt, if anything. And Wintro doesn't think he's in danger.
1: No. Yeah. He watches them. Walk off, laugh. He feels a pang of longing to go with them. But at the same time, he really, really wants to go see all of these things that he saw in his uh, his grandfather's memories. Right. He says uh, he, he watches Miles, you know, kind of bouncing along the heels of this group. And he recognizes that Miles had just kind of been accepted into this group and was trying to fit in. And this might be the first time he's getting in an invite to go along with the street and and everything like that. And Wintrow says, well, it it didn't bother me, you know? Not really, he told himself. He knew enough of men's ways to realize that it was natural for him to want to be part of the group, to do whatever he must do to belong. And, he told himself sternly, he knew enough of Sa's ways to know that there were times when a man had to set himself apart from the group for his own good. Which is a very... Specific paragraph I highlighted because that comes up later. Right. To his detriment, but it was a good decision overall. Right. He says, bad enough really that he had not so much as muttered a single word against their afternoon's plans for whoring and drunkenness. He tried to find reasons for that, but knew they were only excuses and set the whole question aside in his mind. He had done what he'd done and tonight he would meditate on it and try to find perspective. So again, in his mind, he's like, but I'm a priest. I can't. I can't let them go off without saying anything.
0: Right. It is really interesting to have this struggle for him where he's like finding a way to fit in with them, but also still having the lessons of Saw be drilled into him. And so he feels as though it's not good. At least this time he didn't say that he thought it was a bad idea. I feel like first night on the boat, Wintrow would have would have lectured them all about Saw, but You know, he's building that camaraderie. He, like he said, it's all just kind of excuses to be part of the group and he'll meditate on it later. Yeah,
1: yeah. As Wintrow walks through the city, he mentions that he has Efren's memories to guide him. And it's almost like Efren walking next to him. And there's warnings sticking out that not. Everyone is friendly, but he kind of ignores them and puts them down to like, this man is affronted that I'm smiling at him because I recognize him for my grandfather's memories and he doesn't know who I am. But I'm pretty sure it's because he's in a sailor's outfit and staring at the shopkeep. Right. You know, like there's just some sorts of, uh, of warnings and disconnects right. through Wintro's memories and what he expects and what's actually happening.
0: Right. And I think part of that is because he was in Efren Vestrit's eyes. Yeah. So the people of this town know Efren and they know, they know who he is. They know he's not going to cause trouble. So of course they're going to treat him with kindness.
1: Well, and he was the captain. So he had, and, and Althea described that he had very nice captains, like outfit suit made up.
0: Yes. That he He looks
1: like a well-to-do man. (laughs) Right. He
0: doesn't look like a vagabond. (laughs) So we have, Althea's dad, who also was uh, was older, so I assume that that would also give a little bit of respect to the people of the town, like giving him respect. And that's the memories that Wintrow is walking through. So he thinks, of course it's safe because it was safe for his grandfather. I just, I think that's an even bigger disadvantage for him. Right. And probably a big reason why he doesn't take the warning seriously from the sailors.
1: Yeah. So he continues walking past that shopkeep, getting a little affronted look. He's like, oh, I was too familiar with my smile. And eventually makes his way to a well square and stops to stare in awe. It is a beautiful fountain. And he says, you know, each basin had been fancifully decorated with images of its purpose. So there could be no mistake in its utility. The overflow, too, was gathered and funneled off out of sight into a drainage system that no doubt ended in the bay. It was very beautiful, bunch of flowers and plants and everything there. And he says that a number of young women, some with small children playing beside them, were taking advantage of the clear and warm afternoon to wash clothing. And Winter is just halting and looking.
0: It also mentions that the women doing the washing have their skirts looped up to their thighs yes. because they're in the water doing mm-hmm. washing which I think is important.
1: Yes. They, they were laughing and calling to one another as they worked. Young mothers sat on the basin's edge, washing clothing and keeping a watchful eye on babes and toddlers. Everything was strewn about, you know, it was just a, a working scene. And Wintro says there was something so simple yet so profound about the scene that it nearly brought tears to Wintro's eyes. Not since he had left the monastery, had he seen folks so harmoniously engaged in work and life. The sun shone on the water, and the Kmaran women's smooth hair and gleam smooth hair and gleamed on the wet skin of their arms and legs. He gazed avidly, taking it all in as a balm that soothed his roughened spirit. But guards find him and say, Are you lost? And obviously, they're seeing this like 13-year-old kid in ill-fitting sailor's clothing ogling at the women that are just Playing in water.
0: <laughs> right. Where they have dresses that show their legs and it's not something that a, a boy should be watching. It's inappropriate. It looks inappropriate. <laughs> right. And it's so sad because Wintro isn't thinking about that at all. It truly to Wintro is about the beauty of Saw coming together of the humans and nature it's all about Saw. Even if he wasn't a,
1: a sailor, that's still a weird perspective to have, bud.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, yeah. Also, just a weird place to be a stranger in this town, a man watching a bunch of women play in water. It, it doesn't look good, <laughs> even if you're not wearing the
1: sailor's suit. <laughs> so the guards are like, hey, are you lost? The waterfront's down that way. That's where you'll find what you're looking for. He pointed with the truncheon back the way Wintro had come. What I'm looking for, Winthrop repeat, repeated blankly. He looked from one tall man to the other, trying to fathom their hard faces and cold eyes. What had he done to cause offence? I wanted to see the heroes' frieze and the carvings on the Adishi Hall. And on the way, the first guard observed with ponderous humor, "You thought you might stop off to watch some young women getting wet in a fountain." There seemed nothing he could say. The fountains themselves are be- objects of beauty. He attempted. And we all know how interested sailors are in objects of beauty. The guard put an emphasis on the last three words with heavy sarcasm. Why don't you go buy some objects of beauty down at the blowing scarf? Tell them Kentle sent you. Maybe I'll get a commission. And Winch was like, I, I that's not what I meant, you know? I, I Seriously, I want to take time to see the carvings and everything like that. And I promise there'll be no more trouble. I have to be back in my ship by sundown anyway. I just wanted to look about the town a bit. And the guards are considering for a second. Well, Winthrop thinks they're reconsidering. And he pauses and says, Well, we seriously think you ought to get back down to where you belong. Down by the docks is where sailors look about our town. The street for your kind is easy to find. We call it the sailors walk. Plenty there to amuse you. And if you don't head back down that way now, young fellow, I promise you that you will have trouble. With us. He could hear his heart beating, a muffled thunder in his ears. He couldn't decide which emotion was stronger, but when he spoke, it was the anger he heard, not the fear. I'm leaving, he said brusquely. But even if the anger was stronger, it was still hard to turn his back on the men as he walked past them. So, the guards are obviously like, you don't belong here, your kind doesn't belong here even if you weren't staring at these women, we would still tell you to go down to the Sailor's Walk and stay there. Right. We don't want sailors in our city.
0: Yeah, it's very much get out of here, you filthy wharf rat. Yep. It's, I don't know. And, you know, Wintrow makes a comment after this of they were judging my clothes, they're judging me as a sailor, not who I am, and is trying to kind of, I guess, forgive them in that way of like, of course they don't know that I'm a good person, They just know what sailors are like, and he can't really blame them because he also knows what sailors are like. So that kind of helps calm him down a little and feel less angry about the situation. But there is this moment of real, I don't know, he had all this fear and there's this is now the third instance of something happening that tells him he probably shouldn't be doing this. And yet (laughs) he continues. He decides that the warning wasn't good enough. This last warning from the guards wasn't good enough. He's going to just go down a side street and try to make his way to where he wants to go anyway.
1: Yep. But he is bereft of his grandpa's guidance now. He doesn't know really where he's going. And he passes by areas that aren't the main drag, we'll say a young boy trying to sell him smoking herbs, a woman trying to sell herself to him. And she obviously had some diseases and trying to refuse them courteously. And eventually saying, any way you like anything you fancy at all. And then he finally had to speak and say, I have no wish to share your body or your disease and heard with a pang, how cruel his honesty sounded. He would have apologized, but she did not give him time spitting at him before she turned and flounced away. He continued walking, but found that she had framed him more than the city guards had. He's just, he's kind of wandering around. He doesn't know where he's going. It just adds to like, there's a pristine outer edge to this town. Everything looks beautiful on the outside, but there are all these little things that kind of add up. Like, it's not as nice as you think it is, Wintro.
0: Right. And it's not safe to just be wandering alone in this town. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. But he finally gains the heart of the city proper and everything is paved and every building fronted on the street had decoration or design. There were obviously public structures of this area. He walked slowly, letting his eyes linger and stepped back and and saw some of the amazing work that he wanted to see. The stone arches were some of the most amazing work he had ever seen. He came to a small temple of Odava, the serpent god with the traditional rounded doors in the windows of the sect. He had never especially cared for this particular manifestation of Sa, and had never met a follower of Vodava who would admit that the serpent deity was but another facet of Sa's jewel face. Nonetheless, the graceful structure still spoke to him of the divine and the many paths folk trod in seeking it out. So finally was the stone of this building worked, that when he set hands upon it, he could scarcely feel the seam of the builder's joining. He stood thus for a time, reaching out as he had been trained to do to sense structure and stresses in the building. What he discovered was a powerful unity, almost organic in its harmony. I wanted to read that because to me that felt like extending his skill senses. Right. Into something. And this is, again, with all the uses that Wintrow has been utilizing the skill, it is different than what we have seen so far in the book. And in the series, and I think different than pretty much anything else we see, except maybe in the flashbacks of the elderlings. Right. So this is just another facet that was lost when the elderlings kind of went away. Right. It's, it's kind of two halves of the whole combined in the Elderling magic. And this is one part that Sa's priests kept up. And it's kind of that natural beauty, that art, that construction part of it. Right.
0: Yeah. No, and it is really interesting to have him say that he feels a unity with the piece. I really do wonder what that is supposed to mean, if it's just really well-crafted. Does this mean that anything well-crafted feels that way? Is it like specifically religious buildings because this is a temple? Like
1: Maybe to him because it is, I mean, it's Wintrow. Right. <laughs> it's more in tune with any religious.
0: I suppose. Building.
1: And also... You know, the followers of Od- Odava definitely don't admit that they're part of SA, but they are.
0: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Wintro. It's very, it very, it very much feels like to like if there was a Christian who was like, "Yeah, basically, Buddha is Jesus," but nobody who's a Buddhist would ever admit that. Like,
1: um, okay. <laughs> there are religions that insist that all the gods are are That's kind true. of one deity.
0: Yeah. No, I do think it's really, inter- it is like a funny thought though, to think about it like that way. I think in a Western mindset right, that yeah. I have just like, I can't imagine <laughs> somebody saying
1: that. I've never met a Buddhist who admitted that Buddha was actually Jesus or like yeah. a prophet for the same God that Jesus right. was, you know?
0: <laughs> no, it definitely, but yeah, I could see why people would find that annoying if their religion told them that it isn't like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, for sure. He shook his head in amazement, scarcely noticing the group of men in white robes, banded with green and gray, who had emerged from a door behind him and now walked past and around him with annoyed glances. So he stays there. He has these people walking around him that he doesn't see that are annoyed with him, shooting him glances. And after a time, he's coming to himself, realizing that the sun is going down. The afternoon is more fleeting than he thought it was, and he had no more time to waste. He had to quickly stop a few people to ask directions to Adishi Hall and he thanks her, moves on, you know, finally makes his way over to that part. But still, more people are looking at him with odd looks and he suspected that his clothes proclaimed him a stranger to their town. He smiled and nodded, but hastened along to press for time to be more social. So obviously everyone's like, this kid's out of place.
0: He's up to something.
1: Yep. And he gets to Adishi Hall and describes it, and it is gorgeous. It is absolutely a beautiful place. He stood transfixed. It was an image he wished to carry with him forever. People were coming and going from the hall, most dressed in gracefully draped robes in cool tones of blues and greens. It could not have been more lovely if it had been contrived spectacle. He softened the focus of his eyes and took several deep breaths, preparing to absorb the scene before him with complete concentration. So that also seems like a specific technique or something that is kind of captured and like almost like preparing himself for photographic memory.
0: Right. It does feel like a skill thing too, just in that you're relaxing your body and losing focus on your eyes and just like getting ready to open yourself up. I don't know. It's like very clear that there's something skill related to what Wintro does, especially because before where he was, Opening himself up to feel the entunement of this Odava uh, temple. temple. Yeah. Yeah. Like he realized with the priest coming out that he hadn't realized how much time had passed, which we know is something that happens with the skill users. It feels like no time has passed at all, but it's been probably
1: standing, touching that building for an hour, you know, which
0: also imagine you're just a, a person walking down your street. The same one you've walked every day and all of a sudden you turn to the right and there's just some kid in sailor's clothes like holding onto a wall staring out into nothing. Like that would be really weird. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Winchro's a weirdie.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Just a little bit. (laughs) But a cute weirdie. He's our weirdie.
1: (laughs) So he prepares to take in this scene but a heavy hand falls on his shoulder and says sailor boy is lost again and he gets shoved down by the guards onto the sprawling paving stones, and the older guard looked down at him and shook his head almost regretfully. "'I guess we'll have to see him back to where he belongs this time,' he observed, as the brawny guard advanced on Wintrow. There was a deadly softness to his words that chilled Wintrow's heart. Even more chilling were the three people who had halted to watch. None of them spoke nor made any effort to interfere. When he looked appealingly at them seeking help— Their eyes were guiltless, showing only their interest in what would happen next. Wintrow, of course, is saying, I've done no harm. I simply wanted to see Adishi Hall. My grandfather saw it. And we don't welcome waterfront rats coming up our streets and dawdling about staring at folk. Here in Cress, we don't let trouble start. So the older man is speaking, but the younger guard is the one who is throwing him around.
0: Like literally throwing him.
1: Yep, picking him, throwing him into to walls, pushing him into walls, pushing him down, moving him down this street away from everything. Wintrow is kind of trying to tuck into a roll, falling and and trying to maintain some momentum so he doesn't get as hurt. Even so, the paving a uh, one paving stone caught him in the short ribs as he did, but at least no bones broke. He's just getting bruised and battered. But again, the guard seizes Wintrow, shook him, and then threw him in the general direction of the waterfront. This time he collides with the corner of a building. And the shock is keeping him from getting to his feet very fast. He's he's getting skinned up. And he starts running away. And the guard, of course, is having fun and just pursuing him.
0: Right. The young guard is having fun pursuing him. And the older guard is still talking. He's kind of lecturing loudly. And Wintrow realizes that it's kind of almost as a shield of like nothing to see here i'm doing my job because he was causing trouble and kind of reassuring people that they don't need to help because Mm -hmm. this is right
1: yeah we've nothing against sailors so long as they keep themselves and their vermin to the waterfront where they belong we tried to be nice to you boy just because you're such a pup if you'd gone to sailors walk you'd have found it suited you well i'm sure Now you're bound for the waterfront anyway. You could have saved all of us a lot of effort and yourself a lot of bruises if you'd only listened. And it's calm reasonableness coming from him in that whole speech.
0: Right. And that's kind of what makes it scary. And I will say, I think it's human nature to be wary of someone who is going against the status quo. So Wintro staring at people That's not like polite, right? That's not something that people typically do is just innocently stare at others. It's probably very off-putting, especially if you're not expecting it. And so I especially think that there's this moment of like, there's some sort of justification on the guard side of like, well, he's weird and he's doing something weird and that's wrong. And we need to protect our city and we're going to have fun doing it by hurting this little kid, which is horrible and not the way people should act. But I think it is a really human thing that a lot of times when you aren't used to somebody's customs, or even if it's not a custom, just people who don't know the social cues that are kind of invisible that others just seem to inherently know. It's hard for people not to like pick up on that and then either make fun of it or just pointed out as some like as a way an excuse to be mean right and that's what we have here is just this oh well you're not where you're supposed to be and you're staring at all our people and winter was just trying to not get hurt too badly
1: yeah even protesting not a sailor i'm a priest a priest of Sa. the young guard laughed and the older man shook his head in mock regret for the boy oh that makes you a heretic as well as waterfront scum haven't you heard that the followers of Odava have no use for those who would submerge him as but a part of their own god? I was about to tell Flav that you'd had enough, but another knock or two might hasten your enlightenment. And by the way, Flav is the other guard's name, but it's spelled like Flav, like Flava Flave. <laughs> and I had a hard time in my head not going like Flav. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't even notice. I was just like Flav, okay. <laughs> That's a name now.
1: <laughs> but uh, he is... Grabbed by the collar and Wintrow shrugs out of the oversized shirt and runs away and everyone's laughing at him. But he runs away all the way down to the waterfront and he finds himself eventually into an area that he can only assume is the Sailor's Walk. There's tattoo shops, a cheap chandlery tavern, another tavern, etc. You know, he finally fear sprints his way through the city down to the waterfront.
0: Right. And he when he finally gets there, he's able to stop and take stock of what has happened to see what kind of injury may have been left to him. Um, it turns out that he is a little scraped up and his face is starting to puff up a little bit from where he hit the building. And it kind of makes him scared for a moment of how far were those guards willing to go? Like right. what?
1: If I hadn't run.
0: If I hadn't run, how far would they have beat me up? Mm-hmm. And it's scary to think about. It would be, especially coming right out of that situation.
1: Yeah. And and he thinks of hearing about sailors who had been, quote, roughed up in by the city guard, even in Bingtown. Was this what was meant by that? he had always assumed that it happened only to those who were drunk or ill-mannered or in some way offensive. Yet today it had happened to him. Why? Because I was dressed as a sailor, he said quietly to himself. For one ghastly instant, he considered that this might be punishment from Sa for not having worn his priest's robe. He had denied Sa, and as retribution, Sa had denied him, his protection. He pushed that unworthy thought away. So children and the superstitious spoke of Sa as if he were nothing but a much larger and more vengeful human rather than the god of all. No, and he thinks about it like, what what was the lesson then? And... He's he's meditating a bit, the breath is coming more easily to his lungs, and eventually he's thinking, you know, what should be carried away from this? What is there to be learned? And the thought comes to him, and with great clarity, he sees his own gullibility. He had seen the beauty of the city and interpreted it to mean that folk of beautiful spirit lived there. He had come here expecting to be greeted and welcomed in the light of Sa. So strong had been his prejudgment that he had failed to heed any of the warnings that now glared so plainly. His crewmates had warned him, the city guard's hostility had been a warning, the baleful glances from the townspeople. He had been like an overly friendly child approaching a growling dog. It was his own fault he'd been bitten. And then a wave of desolation sweeps over him, and he becomes sunk in that. It was hopeless, hopeless, it was all hopeless." He'd never regained his monastery, never returned to the life of meditation. All of this huge depressive thought spiral comes to him. And suddenly he felt young and stupid, gullible in the worst way. A fool, a stupid fool. The pain of his, this hurt was as real as his bruises. His heart actually felt heavy in his chest. He squeezed his eyes shut to it, wishing he could be somewhere else, be someone else who didn't feel this way
0: right so i think what's so hard about this for wintrow is so this horrible thing happened and he uses the techniques that the priest gave him of you know looking at the bigger picture let's not get upset let's think about what what are the good outcomes of this and that's like what lessons to, that you could have learned and in that wintrow realizes you know his gullibility which i think does stem from the fact that he is a child and has never probably had to be on his own in a place that is scary like that. This is probably his first time truly alone in a city. Before, I'm sure he always had priests with him. It wasn't alone. And we also saw at the beginning, he talked about how if he wore a priest's robe, people would open welcome him with open arms. He didn't expect people like the guard to be vehemently against Saw. That just didn't even cross his mind as a possibility. So I think him realizing the situation he's in and just the reality of things and knowing that while the exercise that he learned from the monastery helped, it just brings back the fact that he isn't there anymore, that it doesn't matter the reflection he's done because he doesn't get to go back to the monastery and continue praying to saw right he mentions that the worst part of everything is that he has to go back to the ship afterwards
1: but where else could he go stay in the streets of Crest? no so he picks himself up and eventually wanders his way down to where he thinks comfrey was describing the sailors walk sees some other sailors down there walks past stalls of you know, cheap charms that probably don't do anything, but everyone is advertising and pities people who buy them. And eventually sees a animal trainer, a beast trainer, offering the chance to wrestle his bear for some coin.
0: Right. Well, I guess technically first he meets up with his crew. Well,
1: he, he sees them first. He He sees the beast tamer. And his small eyes prowled on the crowd, and Wintro wondered what sort of idiot would be talking talked into accepting such a challenge. And then with a sinking heart he recognizes Comfrey.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, I got lost in a section that I had underlined. Oh yeah. So as he's walking through, there's a group of
1: Oh, other sailors. Yes, yes. of other
0: sailors who come out of a um a bar and and they all wore headscarves that once had been white with a black bird marked on the front. And I specifically marked this down because is that not Kenneth's flag?
1: I was thinking that too, but I didn't go look and like check.
0: <laughs> yeah, because Kenneth's flag is the bird that he mentions.
1: It's a raven, yeah. Yeah. Or is it a crow? Can't remember. Well. One of the two.
0: They're very similar looking black birds. Black bird, yeah.
1: <laughs> but I don't know what background it's on, so I,
0: uh, this obviously is not. Kennet himself no but I was wondering if maybe this is a f- recently like, freed right slaves that Kennet has been training as pirates
1: Wait, where were they wearing these scarves were on the um, head scarves so it might be covering slave tattoos if they're on their foreheads yeah but a lot of slave tattoos are on like cheeks so right but I think sore is on his forehead and it's like burned or something so it could be it could be the recently freed crew yeah. Uh, cruise that Kenneth has.
0: I don't know. I just found that really interesting. I don't think it's Kenneth because I think if Kennet was docked with a live ship, he would have, there would be some comment made about it. Like oh, we yeah. would know that that 100%. had happened. And I also don't see Kenneth coming to this area anyway. No, (laughs) next
1: chapter he's sailing into Divi town. So
0: So maybe not whatever, but I do, I did think it was really interesting that I'm pretty sure that this is his symbol and it is time has passed since he freed the first group of slaves. Yes. Yes. So this really could be
1: in, in the next one, actually it says that he has four other ships.
0: Yeah. So it could be, Oh, it could just be people who support his general life. Could be. choices Could like be. Yeah. <laughs> who knows but I just found that a really interesting detail and these people interact with Wintro and because he's all scuffed up and he doesn't have a shirt they make a joke that the woman didn't want him or something I took and, a
1: shirt too or something yeah but uh the, the one reason I think that or at least that's leaning me away from one of Kenneth's crew is because mm-hmm. they're pirates why would they brush up and be in a ship on on A dock in a respectable island, right?
0: Well, hear me out. This is near Chalced, and Kennet trades with Chalcedian merchants with stolen goods, right? I
1: don't think it's near Chalced. I think they've they've sailed, because Chalced is north from Bingtown. They went to Chalced first, and then they sailed back down towards Jamalia.
0: Why would they do that?
1: Because... I I don't know, that's what the thing is though. That's what their their plan was. They had to sell their other things, right?
0: Right, but why would you go up to Chalced and then go turn around, go right past Bingtown again to go up is that where
1: Jamalia can't... is south from from Bingtown. Chalced is north, because it's uh north to south, it's six duchies, Chalced, Kershore and Bingtown. And then Jamalia is south of that, from my understanding, from my head memory, my head map.
0: Jamalia is on the other side of the pirate isles. So does that mean that you have to go from Bingtown down past the pirate isles to Jamalia?
1: Yes, that's why the pirate isles are very lucrative, because all of the the merchant ships from Jamalia and the slave ships from Jamalia to Chalced are all going to be going through the pirate isles. That's like that main channel there. That's why it's the the, the most important thing to kind of to control.
0: Chalced is not marked on the map on the front of the book. So I okay. can't tell where Chalcid is. I,
1: I'm almost I'm probably 95% positive it is north of there.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That just seems like a weird choice to me personally to <laughs> go that route, but But they had that they had
1: those cargoes, right, that they needed to sell yet. That Althea was It was like, the
0: nuts, the Comfrey yeah, nuts or whatever. The comfort nuts, yeah. But they would have sold it all in one go, right? They wouldn't go to multiple ports to sell?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. But either way, I i, I know... I don't think they're as close to Chalcet anymore. Right. Which is to say that the the crew of recently freed sailors could be taking their freedom and being like, we're not going to pirate yet. We're, we're going to sail around like we're merchants and take some... You know, eye up some people or whatever. Right. So they that definitely could be. Plus, if it is, you know, headscarves with the black bird, it's kind of all kind of fitting into place. But
0: yeah. Well, what's the name of the place that they stopped at?
1: Cress, uh, which is like Claw Island, I think.
0: Oh, OK. So they're like literally in the pirate isles right now. So I don't know how respectable. <laughs> OK.
1: Yeah. If they're in one of the islands there.
0: Yeah, they're like in the
1: south of Bingtown, right?
0: South of if that's it's really hard to tell. This map is really bad. No offense to Robin Hobb who created it. (laughs) Also, I'm really bad at reading maps, so (laughs) they're almost halfway to Jamalia. Which is funny because it's the fourth of seven stops.
1: I remember they were going to pick up some things as well, like other cargo besides slaves. In Jamalia. So
0: well, no, I thought it was all slaves. It's just different types of slaves.
1: Uh Kenneth or not Kenneth excuse me, pretty much Kenneth. Kyle, uh, did say that they'll have some non perishables as well, just in case something goes bad. But that could have just been him saying it. Right. It was to Ronica and Kefri, I believe. Okay.
0: Well, either way. So I think it's like the right area. It's close to the pirate Isles. So, yeah.
1: but I would, I would assume that he is making more trades, like buying some stuff in Chelsea. If he has to sell the nuts, sell it over here, you know, like, right. Trying to he's make, trying to make unlucky. as much yeah. money as possible. So, and, and Elthea did mention that there was multiple things bought and sold at different stops. And I'm sure that's just how trader runs work.
0: Yeah, Definitely. But anyway, so I think it's fair to say that this definitely could be a Kennet crew.
1: Especially if it is in the pirate isles or like right by them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's essentially right there. So it's in the right area. It's definitely a Kennet crew. And this is (laughs) Winter's first brush (laughs) with
1: the crew. Yeah. So he does find Comfrey looking and talking to the beast tamer with the bear, the trained bear. And... He was tempted to walk on by and look for Mild, and then he recognized Mild amongst those placing bets. With a sigh, he went to join them. Mild recognized him with a grin of delight as he approached. Hey, come on, you're you're in luck. Comfrey's going to wrestle the bear. Put your money down and you can double it. He leaned closer to Wintrow. It's a sure thing. We just saw a man win. All he had to do was get up on the bear's back, and the bear gave up right away. The Beastmaster didn't want to let anyone wrestle him after that, but Comfrey insisted. And... Uh, then, Mild, after a little bit, says, Oh, hey, what happened to your shirt? And Wintra says, I lost it wrestling with the city guards trying to make a joke about it. And he was a bit hurt at how easily Mild accepted his words until he noticed the tang of the other boy's breath. A moment later, he saw him shift something about in his lower lip. Sindon, The focus of his eyes quivered with the stimulant. Wintro felt uneasy for him. The drug was forbidden aboard ship. If he even came aboard still intoxicated, he'd be in trouble. The rash optimism it gave a man did not make him a prudent sailor. Wintrow thought he should say something, suggest so caution to him somehow, but could find no words. I just wanted to let you know that I'll be waiting for you back at the boat. I finished my sightseeing and I'm headed there now. And w- mild convinces him to say, saying, "Oh, the bear's tired. He's, you know, he's already wrestled half a dozen times." And Winthrop's like, "Oh, and the last man won." And Miles is like, yeah, 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 just put money down. It's easy, easy money. Yeah. And of course, it's a bear. So, no, it's not.
0: <laughs> right. So, Wintrow sees that this is probably a trick, that there is no way that one person can beat a bear that easily. And it's a little suspicious that the bear had never lost. And then the one time it did, he had the, you know, now suddenly the guy's convinced. To let his bear fight one more time, it's not great, and <laughs> and poor Wintro is just kind of like, well, I guess I'm here. Yeah. And then we have Mild, who is indulging in sindin, which is horrible, and probably encouraged by this new crew. And it makes me. I think he's
1: the only one that has it, though.
0: That we know of.
1: That we of of the group that he mentions, which is just him, Mild, and Comfrey.
0: Right. But like, yeah, we don't know if the other crew has it it or not. But yeah,
1: sailors walk. I'm sure there's tons of it.
0: Right. But it's yeah. So it's like really frustrating because we know like effort Vestret had a no tolerance policy. And I think that's what Wintro is referring to, that like you're not supposed to have it aboard. Kyle, too. I guess we've never heard Kyle specifically say no drugs
1: Wintro doesn't really know about Efren's rules unless it would be through Vivatia. So right. hes I think he's talking specifically about Kyle's rules because it, he says if Mild even went back on slightly intoxicated, he'd be in trouble.
0: Well, I was wondering if maybe that came because he has been sharing memories with Vivatia and so that knowledge mm-hmm. is just there.
1: Could be, but I felt like this is more of like Wintro is present and this is what the rules are and everyone kind of knows them sort of thing. That's what it felt to me like. It didn't feel like um an intrusive thought in any way.
0: Well, it doesn't have to be intrusive, right? Like if that's just something he right. learned through osmosis, then that'd be why.
1: Yeah. I just in the in the rest of the chapter when he's talking about Ephrain Vestrit's memories and things, he specifically identifies that and can tell when it's using his grandfather's memories to find the way, you know? And then it's like, oh, now I don't have them. Now I have to do this. So it feels like, I don't know, to me in in the chapter, it feels like Wintro can differentiate between the two.
0: Okay. I mean, I would argue that the reason that he can sense that is because in that moment he's going to a city he's never gone to before and he knows the direction and he's recognizing strangers, whereas this is just a rule for a ship in a split moment. This okay. isn't like actively seeking so out. So you think
1: Kyle definitely has a lenient policy towards drugs?
0: I think a lot more of Kyle's sailors do drugs than Ephraim <laughs> Vestrit's.
1: <laughs> what are you basing that off of?
0: <laughs> off of the ships, uh, the uh, the old ships boy, first chance he gets, taking drugs.
1: <laughs> hey, that was from Ephraim Vestrit's crew.
0: Yeah, but he also is now hanging out with all the adults and they're, t- I don't know, maybe it's something, maybe it is a rule, just everybody has that rule. Kyle
1: is a druggie, and he no, is I the don't.
0: gateway to I don't think he's a druggie, I just don't think he'd be like smart enough to like talk about it, be like, hey, don't be under the influence on my boat and like check you know what i mean like <laughs> ever investor feels like the kind of guy who like sniffs the breath of all of his sailors when they come back on board to be like do you send i can smell it and i feel like kyle's like a you guys seem just mostly drunk i'm gonna take it at that you know what i mean that, like that's the vibes i get
1: <laughs> oh so kyle's the cool boss huh? no <laughs> Either, one, either way, Mild uh, is on Sindan and and he's kind of has that reckless abandon and optimism and confidence right, right now.
0: <laughs> and he convinces Windrow to stay, to watch the yeah. fight.
1: And of course, Comfrey within seconds loses because it's a bear and it, this is a scam and he's thrown to the ground and uh, he's he can't really stand up. He's slow to get up and everyone's like booing because everyone bet money on Comfrey. And it looks like he has cracked ribs and the beast tamer is shouting, do you give then? And Comfrey's nodding his head violently, unable to get enough wind to speak. And the bear listens to the beast tamer and everyone was very mad at Comfrey because everyone is obviously like, Oh, the last guy just won easy peasy money and put all their money down.
0: Right. It's specifically said that Comfrey goes to get on the bear, the bear's back and the bear acts as though it had been trained a million times and swats him away. Like it knew the thing was coming and it's not like a lucky guess. It was a very trained movement according to Wintro's eyes. Um, It's also said before that. Mild is trying to get Wintro to bet because mild has bet the last of his coins and Wintro has to say, hey, I actually don't have any money, so I can't. And that's how he gets out of that. But Comfrey does lose. And again, there's probably a lot of people who bet the less of their coins because they thought it was so sure. So people are upset. And, you know, Wintrow's like, hey, let's go get him. And nobody really wants to help him up. So Wintro being the good-natured person he is, decides to help.
1: Yeah, and, and meanwhile, Torg is in the crowd as well. That Wintro notices shouting out, come for you dumbass, can't even get past a hobbled bear because the bear has like some shackles on its hind feet, which animal cruelty much, you know.
0: Right. (laughs) Well, Wintro does mention that the bear is moving kind of slowly.
1: Yeah. And so everyone is commiserating amongst themselves about all the money that they lost. And like you said, Wintro goes to kind of help help Wintro up or help Comfrey up a little bit and all the other sailors, because it's not just Vivatia sailors are kind of muttering because Comfrey from the Vivatia lost them all their money. So he says to Wintrow, I nearly had him. Damn near had him. Lost everything I'd won earlier. Well I'm broke now. Damn if I'd just been a bit faster. He coughed again and then belched beerily and nearly won. I don't think so, Wintro said quietly, more to himself than to Comfrey. But the man heard him. No, really, I almost had him, lad. I'd been a bit smaller, a bit quicker. We'd all have been going back to the ship with fat pockets. I don't think so, Wintro rejoined. To comfort him, he added. I think it was rigged. I think the man that won was in league with the bear man. And he shows, he like says the whole scam like, he was trained, he was there just to show that, yeah, you can win. And then... The man goes off, and everybody else is going to lose betting all their money. And Comfrey is like, "It's it's not to." Wintro's trying to comfort Comfrey here, right. and Comfrey's like, "Hey, that was a scam. Yeah, you cheated."
0: Everybody's like, "Hey, wait a minute! <laughs> like, it's really hard because clearly Wintro's a little bit more intelligent than the men." Or a little less
1: intoxicated.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, he is kind of just pointing out the obvious to be fair. If you're not expecting a scam and you're just watching a bear fight, it would be really fun to see a man best a bear. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure you get caught up in the, Oh my gosh, it is possible. And then you're not even thinking you're just putting your money down. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, actually that was a really horrible idea. It's, easy to see how they got swept away in the moment and now sober Wintro is here to explain what happened and instead of leaving it alone like oh lesson learned they've decided it's cheating and they need to try again right which I think comes back to the maybe they're not as smart as Wintro because if it was cheating the first time There is no way to win. There's not. It doesn't magically become less cheating because you pointed out that he cheated. Like, you're still not going to be able to win.
1: And the Beast Tamer tamer is like fighting back against all these accusations. Like, of course, it wasn't rigged. You know, how could it be rigged? You saw the man. You saw the bear. They were only two in the square. He paid for a chance to wrestle the bear and he lost. It doesn't get any simpler than that. In a sense, what the man said was true, and Wintro expected the sailors to grudgingly agree with it. He had not taken into account how much they had drunk, nor how much money they had lost. Once the accusation of cheating had been raised, a simple denial was not going to calm them. One, more quick-witted than the others, suddenly said, Hey, where did that fellow go, the one who won earlier? Is he your friend? Does the bear know him? So, they're all riling each other up, and someone else... (laughs) In the crowd says, well, I think the bear has been trained for this. Someone declared angrily. It seemed to Wintro that the most obvious and in this context, the stupidest statement that he'd heard yet.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, obviously yes, the bear has it was been trained. trained
1: to wrestle other men. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's so stupid.
1: <laughs> so everyone, everyone is super mad. He's kind of rustling up a riot with just those few words to comfrey and torg is here also kind of leading the charge saying hey we said we want our money back torg pointed out to the the beast tamer comfrey's my shipmate you think we're going to stand by and see him beat up and us cheated out our hard-earned money you made our man look bad and by saw's balls we don't stand still for that like many a bully he knew how to rally To best rally men to their own self-interest. He glanced around at the men watching him and then turned back to the beast tamer. He nodded significantly. Think we can't just take it if you choose not to give it? There was a rumbling of agreement from the others. And the beast tamer knew he was outnumbered and he was looking for a compromise and says, I didn't cheat. My bear didn't cheat. I think most of you know that, but I can be fair any one of you wants, I'll let him wrestle the bear for free. If he wins, I pay off all the bets, same as if that man had won. If he loses, I keep the money. Fair enough, I'm giving you a chance to win back your money for free. And everyone is like, yeah, yeah, that, that seems fair. That seems fair.
0: Literally just got done yeah. explaining how the bear is trained and this was a scam from the get-go. <laughs> and now also like, oh no, actually, you know what? If we get one more chance to fight, I bet it will go differently this time.
1: And Comfrey is like, all right, when you go against him, you're little and quick. All you got to do is get past him and onto his back. No, no, thank you. As quickly as Comfrey had pushed him forward, Wintrow stepped back. But the sailors' words had been overheard, and another man from another ship took it up. Yeah, let their ship's boy give it a try. He's little and quick. I bet he can get past the bear and get our money back for us. Wintro is trying to yell out, no, no, I'm not doing it. Torg swear, swaggering up saying, so you think you can win our money back for us? Somehow I doubt it, but give it a try. And yells to the guy, our ship's boy wants to give it a try. Like They're all just drunk, drunkenly saying, yeah, Wintro said he wanted to do it. <laughs> He's going right. to do this. And the it's- whole time Wintro's like, no, I'm not <laughs> wrestling a bear.
0: And it's so hard because in this moment, people are taking it like a, oh, you're too scared. Like they literally just forgot the fact that this is rigged. Yeah. That there's no way he's going to win. He's just going to get hurt and they don't care. And it's like, oh, you're scared to get hurt. Like, yeah, I don't want to be attacked by a bear. Do you? Well, (laughs) In what world? And none of them are taking that into consideration. They're all just like, ooh, look at the wimpy little ship's boy from Vivacia! Mm-hmm. What a bunch of cowards.
1: And now Torg is getting embarrassed because Wintro is saying out loud he's not going to do it. And other sailors are like, he's got no guts. So Torg's like, well, he's insulting all of us and making all of us look bad. And he's turning to Wintro saying, you have to do this. You're shaming your ship. Get in there and get our money back for us. Wintro shook his head. I'm not stupid enough to take on a bear. You want it done? You do it. Even if I got past him, got on his back, there's no guarantee he'll give in. Just because he did it before, you know, he's not going to do it again. He's trained.
0: Right. Wintro's trying to use logic in this moment. And honestly, fair. You know what? Torg, if you want it to happen, you do it.
1: Yeah. But Mild has had Sindan and he volunteers. I will do it. And Wintro, again, is like, no, 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 no. Don't do it mild, it's stupid. If you weren't humming on Sindin, you'd know that. If Torg wants it done, let Torg do it. And Torg is like, I'm too drunk to do it. I can't, I can't. I've been drinking too much. You do it, Wintro. Show us you got some guts. Prove you're a man. And he says, No, I'm not gonna do it. He's he takes his stand. The the thing that I was talking about before, where he has that platitude from Sa, like sometimes a man has to separate himself from the group. Right. Right. That's what he's doing, which is an incredibly smart decision right here. It just loses him the crew or any chance he had to be accepted.
0: Right. Which is horrible. Like the fact that they can't understand that this isn't worth it. This if right. You guys made a dumb decision and it's still rigged. It is. Who wants to wrestle a bear? Also that, like, have you seen bears? Like they're huge. I've seen a bear in real life more than once and they are really big and scary.
1: Even a black bear, like that's maybe our, like my height, six, six and a half feet tall or something, maybe a little bit taller than me on its hind legs. That thing will outweigh me by three times and be four times as strong as me. There's no way I'm getting on its back.
0: Yeah, like <laughs> Without it killing me. It's just they're scary even when they're not angry. Yeah. They're so big. And like as cute and floofy as they are, I love their little ears. So cute. Uh, <laughs> don't want to fight them. I that's dumb. That is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And yet here Torga is like, well, I can't do it. I'm drunk. You have to. I it just ugh. The whole like toxic culture of sailors where you have to prove yourself and you have to do dumb stuff and hurt yourself on purpose, knowing it's bad or else you're not a real man is just horrible. And poor Wintro yeah. is just doing what's right. And poor Mild is mistakenly trying to fix the problem by putting himself in a lot of danger.
1: Yeah. And Wintro is still trying to get Mild to not do it and people are making unflattering remarks about the vivacious crew and everything like that. And Wintro's still kind of saying, Hey, mild don't do this. And Tor gives him a savage shake saying, shut up. He belched, shut up. He repeated more clearly. Mild ain't afraid. He can do it if he wants, or do you want to do it? Hurry up, decide. One of you has got to win our money back. We're nearly out of time. Cause the beast tamers like, Oh, he's not going to do it. I'll take all your money then. So, Wintro's remarking, like, why did it come down to this between Mild and me getting into a square with a bear to win back someone else's money in a rigged game? It was preposterous and no one else was on his side. So Mild just jumps in. He says, me. He jumps in and... It kind of does that flash forward thing that Robin Hobb does and says later Wintra wondered if the beast tamer was aggravating the bear the whole time because the bear didn't lumber toward Mild. Nor mince forward on its hobbled legs. Instead, he lunged on all fours for the boy, slamming his huge head against him and then gripping him with his huge paws. The bear reared up with Mild yelling and struggling in his grasp. Blunted or not, his claws shredded the young sailor's shirt until a shout from his owner made him throw the boy aside. Mild landed hard outside the bear's square. Get up, someone yelled, but Mild did not. Even the bear's owner looked rattled at the violence of it. He grabbed the chain, tugged hard on to convince the animal he had control of it. It's over, he declared. You saw it all. It was fair. The bear won. Boy's out of bounds. Money is mine. Some grumbles, but no one challenged him as he trudged off. And people are still upset at Vivacious crew, saying gutless, a lot of them. And Mild is extremely, extremely injured here. His mouth was half open. He was drawing in dust with every breath. He had landed so hard chest first, it would be a miracle if his ribs were not at least cracked. We've got to get him back to the ship, he said, and glanced up at Comfrey. Comfrey looked down at him with disgust. Then he looked away as if he were not there. Come on, boys, time to get back to the ship list of any injuries Mild might have had, he seized the lad by his arm and dragged him upright. When Miles sagged like a rag doll, he scooped up the boy and flung him over his shoulder. The two other sailors from the vivacious crew trailed after him. None of them deigned to notice Wintrow's existence. It wasn't my fault, Wintrow declared aloud, but somehow he wondered if it was. Was so, Torg pointed out. You knew he was full of Sindon. You shouldn't have been in there, but he had to go because you were too much of the coward. Well, Tor grinned with satisf- satisfaction. Now they all know you for what you are, boy. Before it was just me that knew you were a water-ass coward you were. He spat and walked away. And Wintrow was just left sitting there in that square. He knew he had done the right thing and made the right choices, but a terrible sense of lost chance welling up, was welling up in him. He suspected he had just lost his opportunity to be accepted as part of the vivacious crew, to be considered a man among men. He glanced up at the westering sun and then hastened to catch up with the men who now despised him. So that's his chance, but it it was the right decision. There was no good decision there either way. Everyone is drunk and on drugs, egging each other on, trying to win back money that they lost because they're betting on a stupid rigged game that none of them could see was rigged. Right. And, and then someone it's... had the audacity to say, I
0: think this bear's is trained. <laughs> 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 what? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think that's the. I think the worst part to me is that they all, for one moment, one split moment, were like, yeah, wait a second. This bear is trained. This is rigged. And then a second later, like, fight him. It's more fair that way. (laughs) And, like, it makes... You just got to be smaller (laughs) Yeah, and, like somehow it's Vivacious crew's fault for not going in. Like, why don't they do it then? If it's so, you know what I mean? Like, right. why is it on Vivacious crew? Like I get the Vivacious crew lost last, but like, why does that crew have to be the one to fix it? You guys are the ones who lost money. You do it.
1: Drunken mob latching onto an idea. I guess... was volunteered and everyone's like, yeah, they, they got to fix it. Try the ship's boy.
0: <laughs> and then nobody else. It's just so stupid. It's the whole thing is bad. And, Poor Mild. I just like Mild let the peer pressure win. He decided to go and Mild could have just not volunteered, honestly.
1: Yeah, he, I, he could not have. But also, I don't even think it's the peer pressure or like trying to, you know, I, I think it's the send in that was just like, I can definitely do this. Well, Everyone's saying you got to be smaller and quicker
0: on that. I can do that. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's also peer pressure because he's hearing people disparage the vibration right.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, so I yeah, think that's that the pressure. Too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Of like, Oh, I don't want them to talk bad about my ship and Wintro's not doing it. So I'll do it. Yeah. And it's probably also came from a spot of trying to help Wintro out mm-hmm. mm. and it massively backfired. It's Oof. not good.
1: No. Now he is it's, despised pretty much. Right. And that's where Which, we leave winter off on the, Very bad. No good day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's horrible. I just feel really bad for him. I hate that. That's where we leave it. I hate that everyone has now turned on him when it's their fault. Like he didn't make them put all their money in the ring. He didn't make them fight. He just told them it was rigged and they believed him long enough to demand a retrial. Like, I don't know. He tried. But I do also want to take a moment to talk about the bear um, because we've talked about the bear previously in earlier episodes for this book about whether or not this bear would tell us if Wintro is witted or not. I do
1: um, not think he is. I
0: do not think he is either. He this doesn't, kind
1: of solidifies it, actually. Yeah.
0: He doesn't ever talk about what the bear is feeling. He doesn't right. really talk about...
1: He doesn't even talk about like the attitude of the bear, really.
0: Or emotions. I mean, there's like lumbering is used, but that's just a general description. That's right. not, you know, like an emotion. I mean, obviously he te- he thinks later that the bear is agitated because it goes on all fours and really attacks. But yeah. I don't think that that's because he can sense the agitation. That's just because it's moving faster. That's just like. Right.
1: I, I think it's pretty much confirmed he's not now. Yeah.
0: But I do think that the man who had the bear was witted. You do? I do. Because Mm -hmm. I think the bear was angry because it could sense the fear of its owner, of the people turning and like, it was like a defense thing. Because why else would it be upset? I just don't think. I don't think
1: that, well, I guess it's possible, but I, I personally don't think a member of the old blood would hobble their own animal. Even to, like, make money like that. Because it it wouldn't be a... It's not an even partnership then, right? Because money isn't something that the bear needs or wants.
0: Money gets the bear a house and food, potentially.
1: I guess. It's just... I I really don't think... I I just don't think it would be chained up and have the hobble in the back legs. And I just think it would just be a little it's a little bit too much and a little bit too cruel for a witted person who's sharing the emotions.
0: Well, if the, the hobble is loose and always taken off whenever they're not around people, sure, there
1: there definitely could be, you know, you definitely could be witted, definitely could have accommodations and come to an agreement with the partner and, you know, make that arrangement with them and do the scam together. Definitely possible. I, do I, I think it's probable? Personally, no. I, I don't think he is. Well,
0: I think just to rebut you, I think you're thinking about it as old blood, and that's one culture's version of sharing blood with animals, True, or definitely. This. And I don't think that would be what this is because that's not the same culture. So potentially there isn't that like one with nature hippie feel to sure. this this group's version.
1: Yeah, that it's definitely possible. I just think it's hard to do it's hard to get away from that because you are sharing emotions and minds. Like we talked about before with Wintro and vivacious bond is it's, it's deeper than just a friendship, right? It's right. An intimacy. And like I said, they could have come to that agreement and they could be like, Hey, let's do a scam together so I can get money and we can be more comfortable as partners as what partners, I mean, but I, I don't think it's a one way thing. I don't see any way that,
0: well, hear me out then about this also. We don't know that this guy does this all the time. That's we don't fair. know he could just be trying to get fair to get them on a boat somewhere else.
1: Yeah, it's definitely possible. Like like I yeah. said, any sort of arrangement could have been made. I just It's not out of the realm of possibility. I just don't see even Night Eyes going along with that. Night Eyes doesn't even want to be a dog, you know? Like and Night Eyes and Fitz have the one of the closest relationships,
0: but that's also the type of animal night eyes is, right? Like, I guess if you think but about bears,
1: like, are even more like I don't care who you are, get, like, because <laughs> we mean, met one with Black Rolf, right? Right,
0: but like, was she like I don't care who you are? I mean, I feel like bears in general have the kind of reputation of being protectors and like willing to go, I don't know. It just like, I guess dogs are supposed to be loyal, right. but I feel like, like a mama bear would do anything for its cubs. And if that's like sort of the relationship vibe with their share partner, like yeah, do it's, anything to keep you safe. I don't know. It's
1: not my head cannon, but okay. I technically somebody could write fanfic of just those two as like the main characters, you know, right. Having like a little, little scene before they got off on a boat on the main island or the mainland somewhere off on their adventures. Just not my headcanon, I guess.
0: Okay. But yeah, just, I just like
1: you don't think it's a real dragon on the Barrens.
0: Well, <laughs> fair enough. But either way that, so that concludes the chapter. Yeah. A very long 50 page chapter. Yeah. <laughs> 53 pages. It's going to be
1: another two hour plus episode, I think. We'll see how much it edits down, but we're definitely, I think, over two hours right now. So, oof, oof.
0: It won't get easier. Yeah. These chapters are long for this series.
1: That's true. Maybe second
0: book will be better. Probably not. It's just a lot of perspectives to get in.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look at like the number of chapters because the book lengths are very similar. But the number of chapters compared to the first books, I'm not sure. Kinda of wondering if they shorten up later. I think next chapter is a bit shorter at least. So
0: there are thirty-six chapters in this
1: book. I think there's like thirty two in the other ones, right? There's thirty six in this one. So the the chapters must shorten up then, eventually. They have to, right? Please, they have to. I guess the length could be could be longer for these ones, but I think they're about the same. So,
0: yeah, I don't know how many pages are in the other one, but there's 800 mm-hmm. something in this. I think there's less.
1: Well, next chapter should be a shorter one, I think. So, we'll get back with Kennet on there. He's going back to Divi Town. So, if you have anything, uh, any thoughts about Wintro, his relationship with the skill with Saw, his kind of split Divide his morality divide here, the stupidity of the crew, <laughs> anything with Elthea and what uh, she is going through and her, you know, her, her mindset and thinking of nothing and trying to think of nothing and get through the tasks. Please let us know. Right. You can reach us at isfitshappy at gmail.com or you can uh, message us on isfitshappy at facebook instagram and we are still on twitter as well
0: yes yeah Um, as long as it exists
1: (laughs) so thanks so much for tuning in hope to see you next week